Today we are speaking with spouses, partners, and co-authors, John David and Anna Gabriel Mann, who recently wrote The Go-Giver Marriage, a little story about the five secrets to lasting love. John is co-author of more than 30 books, and including the classic The Go-Giver series with Bob Berg. And Anna has a master's degree in clinical psychology and is an esteemed therapist and trainer and coach. So welcome. I'm so excited to be having this conversation today. Thank you, us too. Thank you so much. I, uh, I know this is hot off my hands. I've been uh, reading it and I, I was chatting with you guys before the show, rereading it already and uh, taking a lot of notes. And I really kind of want to start with the end uh, in mind. Your summary chapter is titled, Love is a Verb. And you write, love is a verb. It's not something that just happens and keeps happening on its own forever and ever till death do you part. It's something you actively, consciously do day in and day out. Love, in other words, is not a state of being. Love is a practice. So let's start with um, how does appreciating your spouse really lay a foundation for a successful and vibrant relationship? I think it's a great example of this thing you said about love is a verb, because we all know how to appreciate. It's something that we, we knew how to do and we, we did in the first flush of romance. When you first fall in love, you appreciate everything about the person. But it's something that typically fades because other things take precedence. We start having, over time, we have stresses and finances and family and household and career and the world. And we just start kind of assuming that the other person knows that we appreciate them and we forget how to do it. We just take it for granted. And you can't take it for granted. You have to establish it as a practice, like brushing your teeth or like you know, that's something that you actually put energy into doing every day. Or the marriage, the relationship, the love, the long-term lasting love will start to fade. And you talk about we can have a positive flow in a marriage and, and that type of cycle, or we can get into this negative downspin. How do you turn that to the, to the viewers that are listening and they're not in that practice of appreciating their partner? Um, how do you start to turn this around? Well, the first way you do, you turn it around is to recognize that you can either, you, you know, you have a neurological loop happening where your amygdala is firing on things that are either negative or positive. And, you know, you're keeping score, if you will, or noticing the things. So if you're in a, in a negative spiral with your partner, you're going to be in what we see as the opposite of, of appreciation, which is criticism. And when you're criticizing someone, you're looking for all the ways that they're not fulfilling their duties to the relationship in some way or another, whether they leave their socks on the floor or they didn't pick up their teacup from the coffee table, whatever it is that gets under your skin and bothers you, when you bring it back up, you know, you're, you're in the negative loop of criticizing and criticism will completely dismantle a relationship over time. So to change it is to actually take action to really line up things every day that you notice that your partner does and take a moment to appreciate them. I would add to that too. It's almost like people are familiar with the idea of a gratitude list because that's been very popular in, in recent years. It's, it's when you find yourself slipping into a mindset of criticism, as Anna's saying, you know, whether it's spoken or even you're just starting to have the thoughts like, eh, I wish he'd pick up his socks or I wish she'd do things differently. When you feel, when you feel that starting to happen, 
train yourself to flip into what am I grateful for about this person? What specifically do I love about this person? What is it about this person that lights up my day? And then, and this is the key thing, give it a voice, speak it, say it, chase your partner down for a month and say, excuse me, honey, I got to just, just, I got to tell you and tell them the thing that you love about them. It takes 30 seconds. And it can even feel a little bit awkward at first. It can, it can feel like a muscle you haven't used for some years because, you know, as I said, when you're a person that flush, you were telling your partner about everything that they did, what was amazing. But it may feel a little bit rusty. That's okay. It's okay if it's awkward. It's okay if it's clumsy. Just do it. Just do it a couple times a day. And it starts to become a neurological groove, as Anna says. And you start to get into the habit of looking for the positive and saying it, expressing it. In, in, in reading your book, you know, I, I'm in an appreciative, I think, marriage we show each other, or we certainly, I think we feel it more than we say it, I would say. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty common. So it, it really was a great invitation for me to be more vocal about it. I think that giving yeah. voice to it and, and being really specific. So example, my, my mom, see, I call him uh, my husband, was, uh, you know, he runs and he stays in shape. And, and I think that's great. But then I can take that appreciation and whether it's a comment of how great he looks in those running tights or, you know, he's adding on life and longevity and to spend more time with me and maybe our grandkids someday, right? That, that type of specificity. And then it seems to, you know, we're talking about working on ourselves, right? Being the one to show appreciation, but talk about that dynamic. It can, it can start creating within the relationship. Well, the dynamic is powerful. And, and one of the things that we say in the book and that I say all the time in my work with individuals versus couples is that um, it only takes one person in the marriage to practice the secrets in order for the entire tone of the marriage to change. And even the most difficult person, if you are appreciating them three to five times a day, they will warm up. They will get, they will loosen up and get a lot you know, you'll see a shift in them because they're not accustomed to it. Because when the dynamic is bickering or when the dynamic is criticism or the dynamic is even ambivalence and just kind of ignoring each other and going your own way, the minute you start sharing your appreciation for somebody, you're giving them attention that they were not expecting and that they didn't solicit. And it's very powerful. Um, and people really do respond to it. Um, it's very early, the primary need. I mean, it's primary narcissism, um, the earliest stage of development when we need to be appreciated and loved for just being there. Um, and that kind of appreciation really does spark a deep feeling of love and affection between people. I think that's such an important point, Anna, to reaffirm to our viewers and hopefully your readers, <laughs> is that while you might look at this type of book and go, oh, yeah, my husband would never sit down and read this book, or my wife would think this is you know, pooey, that this process starts with you. And, and it's a process of investing in yourself um, and investing in your relationship. Um, but really, you know, I think that that's where your work matches up with ours so strongly about world making, right? We all have yes. that responsibility. We're charged to creating our world and then our little corner of the world. Um, and, and that certainly starts with ourselves and it starts at home. It's so true. Yeah, you know, if you want to change the world, make your bed, right? It's that, that kind of spirit. It's so mm. true because, um, you know, and Anna, there's a character in the book. Uh, the, the book, by the way, is in, is in two halves. So those of you who have not read the book, the first half is called The Parable. And it's a story, like other Goal Giver books, um, that illustrates these principles. It's a modern day parable. 
The second half is called The Practice, and Anna wrote the second half, and it's really unwrapping the, the principles and lessons of the story and giving them kind of in a how-to guide format so, so that you can practice them in your actual lives. Um, and there's a character in the story that started out in life as a marriage therapist and says she changed her practice to being a marriage coach where she would just coach individuals. And that's actually Anna's story. That's what she did. And the reason for that is that when you work on your marriage, you don't actually work on your marriage. You work on yourself. That's how you change your marriage. You work on yourself and how you are with that other person. You work on yourself and how you behave with them, how you receive them, how you interact with them. But you can't work on the other person. You can't work on your husband or work on your wife or work on your significant other. There's, they're autonomous. They're their own being. They're their own boss. You can work on yourself. And so, you know, it's not an uncommon thing where you'll see a, somebody will say, well, I'd like to work on a marriage, but my husband is never going to therapy or my wife would never go along with this. It's like Molly says, you don't, they don't have to. What has to happen is you start, you set the tone, you make a shift. And as both Molly and, and, and Molly and, and Anna were saying, it's like you make that shift. It's startling how powerfully that can shift the whole tone of the marriage. And we're going to talk more in our second half together about that, uh, you know, wanting to take that easy path um, of controlling or fixing the other person. And that's yes. a whole other, you know, big uh, part of your book and, and addressing that. Um, but John, that, you know, the, I was really curious as I'm reading this, because I know you're the storyteller and the parable is written so beautifully. So much substance coming forth. So I figured Anna had her hand in guiding that. And, and yet, you know, I, I see both of you throughout um, but again, I just want to read a little um, quote, and it's, it's emphasizing about being present, about being there for the other person, um, to show that you will take care of them, tune into them, see what they need, sense what they want, notice what they love, um, paying attention, not just to appreciate them, right, but taking that next step of helping them feel that appreciation through these meaningful actions. And, you know, those words brought back my, my mother bringing coffee, you know, every morning to my dad in bed, or it brought, um, you know, just these moments of it within my own marriage, or, or yes. you almost just can hear um, what works for some couples, and, you know, you know, that. You also make that point that every, that this path for every relationship is so very different. It has its own fingerprints and own, you know, walks and talks and, you know, talk a bit about that. Like we're talking about a, a shared universal practice of love, um, but it, this can show up very, very differently. Um, yeah. Relationship by relationship. To really show your love to somebody, you need to know who they are. You need to find out what they love. You need to find out what's special for them. What do they appreciate? What do they want? What do they need? What makes their lights light up? And I, Anna will tell you that uh, one of her favorite things about me is I bring her a cup of hot tea in bed in the morning. <laughs> is this a really big deal? No, it's a simple deal. But it starts our whole day in a way that, you know, that, that is special for both of us. I love it as much as she does. Yeah, it's the little actions. And, and I say little just because for many couples, they are so small, but it's little things like... Um, you know, bringing someone a cup of tea or giving, um, I have one client who gives her husband a half an hour just to read the paper and sit in a cozy chair when he gets home every night because he needs complete silence and he needs to separate and just have some quiet. And that's her gift. 
and it's it's a you know it's a beautiful thing when people can really recognize what it is the other one needs and then give it to them so i I think you could look at that as giving your spouse space right that's an action you make the point that sometimes it's as important of what we don't do than what we do right so you could also look at that like i'm not going to talk to him when he needs silence i'm not going to right so you're looking at both sides of that certainly what you're doing um, but perhaps for some of us, we need to be um, not doing <laughs> some of our habitual responses. Can you talk about that? Takes empathy. Yeah, sweetheart, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, the things that we shouldn't be doing could be a very long laundry list, but it, it is, um, it, you know, there's many things that we shouldn't be doing. One is, you know, putting a lot of energy into trying to control the other into codependent behaviors and things that that make the other person feel as though they're not measuring up or that they're too much, you know, I, um, things of that sort, but there's, you know, criticism is a big one. Control is a big one. There's a lot of different levels that we can be in the, in the relationship, but not in it, in a way that's positive. We're, we're in it in a way that's critical and we're constantly looking. Um, and those are all things that in the long run will take their toll. People will start to pull back from each other because that's how people initially lose intimacy is that they, they back away because it's too critical. It's too controlling. And they just, they, they pull themselves back in the relationship. You have that pattern where when things get tough, people kind of withdraw or go to their own corners. Um, and that can also be caused when, when you're at the target of criticism or even just simply not being seen, not being appreciated. Um, so let's talk about that in that context of how do we, turn toward our partner when times are tough and not isolate into our own corner. You know, I think that it's hard to turn toward your partner when you are being attacked. And I think that, um, that when people are keeping a scorecard in a relationship, and I think that's a key piece. I think the ego is always looking for equal. The ego is always keeping score. Did I get as much cake as you did? You know, did, have you done the dishes as much as I've done them? And I think that, that that scorecard is really destructive in a relationship. But as well, I think that we all bring our unique emotional history. Not a single one of us got out of childhood without emotional wounds. And I think that that childhood and those wounds come into our relationships as adults. And those are the things that create those bad behaviors, the, the don't do's. Um, the don't do's are caused because we may have felt completely out of control with a parent who was abusive and who yelled and criticized and we felt so out of control or was alcoholic you know i mean there's just so many different dynamics that make a child feel out of control that when you get into an adult relationship and here you are there's a part of you that really wants to control the universe because that's how you feel safe so i think that the first is to drop the scorecard as much as possible become aware of the scorecard become aware of the place in you that's that's just seeking to be in control. And second, to drop the desire to control the other person, because that's the hallmark of codependence. Codependence is when you're saying to your partner, I love you, but you know, you are, you know, I would love, you know, I would love you more if you lost 30 pounds. Um, I love you, but you know, you talk too much when we go to parties um, and it makes me feel embarrassed. Um, you know, these are all, you can feel embarrassed in that moment, but it's not yours to, to say. Um, and, 
the minute we're in that mode of, of trying to control, we're not, we're not giving or allowing the space for the other person to breathe or to be themselves. Yeah, that really struck me as you uh, wrote that those are four of the deadliest words in a marriage. I love you, but, um, and, I, and I think that's uh, a mirror that we all can hold up to ourselves because at one time or another, in one way or another, we have all, anyone who's in a marriage has said, uh, I would expect us to think for those words, if not those exact words. So we've been talking about, you know, all of the, the, the challenges that we have um, and whether it's uh, busyness or overwhelm. And now, Anna, you're talking about our childhood wounds, right? We have a, a lot of things working against us in being able to um, show up to a marriage fully and in a way that feeds the relationship. And you talk about the need to have awareness and be intentional. Um, talk a bit more about how you can come together to um, make sure that both partners' needs are being met. You, you give both in the parable, we see that happening, and then in your practice, part of the book, you address that. Um, but that's one of the key goals that we're talking about here, right, is, is to say, yeah. you know, we, we each are here, we have our needs, we have our wounds, we're showing up in different ways. How can we come together and, and work on both of us getting our needs met? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, um, oh, you know, this this relates, this is the whole premise of the book in a way, but it also really relates to one of the, one of the five secrets that we call allow. And, you know, you both alluded to it earlier. Um, the idea of allow is there are times, as you say, when we're under stress, when things are difficult, when one of us is experiencing some kind of turmoil, big or small, where we need to cut each other a little slack. Like I need to give you a little extra space or give you a little buffer or, you know, give you some, the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you snap and you're cranky. Instead of reacting defensively, I need to just give, as I said, give, give you the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, she's feeling, she's feeling under the gun. Maybe I'll just do this extra chore or do this extra thing and just give a little bit more. Uh, there's a great word, which is grace. This is kind of like giving your partner a bit of grace. Um, and it, it speaks to this dynamic which is that it's very easy when stress occurs to start feeling like we're two separate people and to retreat into our own corners. Like, let's say you snap at me in some mild way. Okay, if I start to react defensively, like, wait, I didn't do anything. Okay, now we're, now we're two people. We've just fallen in, into two. When we live together, when we're creating a relationship together, we create a, a, an overlap, which we call the us. It's not the me, it's not the you, it's the us. And the us is like a third entity, like a breathing, living, organic thing, an organism. That's the marriage itself. At all times we're together, we're either feeding the us or starving the us. And to answer your question, one way that we make sure our, all, both of our needs are getting met is look with an eye to feed the us. Don't starve the us, feed the us. Because when we both sort of look toward the us to give our inputs generously, we're both going to we're both going to end up being taken care of, as opposed to each of us looking out for ourselves, going to our separate corners, and neither of us are going to get taken care of. Yeah. So when those battle lines are drawn, or I think at one point you talk about the fracturing the us. Yes. Right? When, when right. there's fractures, or, or you draw those lines in the sand, um, you know the no, neither party wins, but the marriage is, is going to take that hit. 
we're seeing a lot of this, I think, through the pandemic. You know, you talked about those times of stress, John. Um, they're pretty inherent in what we're living through over the last couple of years and, and just modern day living with, with the speed of life. Um, so what would you say um, to that specific context? What are you seeing, or Anna, in your practice um, with couples um, or individuals <laughs> within couples? What are you seeing um, that, is, that is working or um, that you're noticing? Well, I'm, I'm noticing that basically the, the too much togetherness, you know, is, is breeding a lot of stress for everybody. But when you add the children to the equation and everybody's working from home, everybody's trying to grab their little place to get a Zoom meeting done or things like that. And they're trying to stay on track. And, and then the house is in further breakdown because there's multiple people, you know, leaving their dishes around and leaving messes everywhere. And there's just, it's just been chaos. And I think that when, you know, I think that as adults, we're, we're aligned with short-term stress, but I think when you're in a situation that brings long-term stress, like um, the stress of taking care of an elder parent or the stress of, you know, and having them live in your home or the stress of the pandemic where kids are out of school, parents are both trying to work from their computers and everyone's in the same house at once and there's noise, et cetera, that it's very, very stressful. And a lot of people's you know, a lot of that innate place that just wants to snap is, is really present. And that's what I've been seeing. So it's been really um, about really helping people to just be able to have sane conversations when the stress is up, to be able to sit down and, and, and actually have a conversation where it's about, you know, this is what's really been hard for me. And so that there can be some consensus or some agreement on ways that you can lighten the load for each other. Um, and keeping the five secrets moving forward, you know, using every opportunity you can to appreciate the things that, you know, your spouse may be doing, like taking the kids to the park while you have a Zoom meeting or, you know, doing something that um, is just, you know, lightening the load in any way. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack. This pandemic has been very hard on, on people, very, very hard. It's created a lot of depression, a lot of stress. I think we'll be spending years unpacking and, and supporting and, and, and bringing, you know, some good. I just, I just want to add, though, that it's also an opportunity. And we've yeah. really seen this, too, with a couple of words, an opportunity to say, OK, now, how does this work and how does our marriage work and how who are we together? And it's a it's a chance to start to look at some things if we have the tools to do it to actually make great leaps forward. We just want to offer people the tools so that we can we can approach the situation and build positively out of it. Mm -hmm. I, and John. Oh, Anna. I was just, it's a quick story, but I have a, a couple of clients and I only saw one of them, but she and her husband decided that they would have smooch time on the couch, regardless of where the kids were every night. And it was like 10 minutes, but they would tell the kids, this is our time to smooch on the couch. And the kids, of course, would hang out and Google all over the room. But they said that one 10 minute time of them just snuggling on the couch and, and smooching for 10 minutes every day not only brought them closer, but the kids were getting such a bang out of it that it was really powerful for the kids as well. So, you know, it can be these really silly little things that just shift the whole energy. Yeah, yeah. And whether those kids are staying close or they think, oh, that's gross, and they scatter, you're still role modeling, right? You're setting a bar. You know, yeah. I, I want to say, guys, well, um, I have you both here, that it, it's, there's something for everyone in this book, uh, and you also meet people where they are, right? So, John, between your I said your poetic prose 
type writing, um, and then the practices, and then there's there's this whole list. So, um, John, I'm going to finish with some of your words because I love this metaphor of being a safe harbor for your partner. Uh, you write, the world can be a hard place full of treachery and heartbreak. Be his or her refuge, his sanctuary, his safe harbor from the stings of the world, and let him be the same for you. Uh, and I, I think those are just beautiful words, and I'm really pleased to be uh, part of this conversation and, and putting this good, good work into the world. So thank you, John. David, thank you, Anna Gabriel.